Hello and welcome to The Conversation with me, Amanda Decadene. This series of The Conversation is brought to you by VS Voices, another fantastic podcast I host, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the multifaceted nature of the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. On this week's episode, I'm speaking to filmmaker Sarah Jones about her new project, Buy, Sell, Date. Hi, Sarah. Hello, magic one. It's so nice to see you. By the way, the conversation about the men, you know, I don't believe in anything, but I believe in everything. That is God's work. That's all I can say. You are doing Thank God's you. work. Yeah. Thank anyway. you. I'm so grateful that you feel that way. I just felt so strongly that this needed to happen. Yeah. I was like, I'm either going to get canceled or whatever, but this feels like it needs to happen. When you are having a conversation about the men and Matthew McConaughey and the things that come to light. Yeah, it was really powerful to see the concept of using and collaborating with male voices to highlight subject matter that is really important to progress women in the world, like consent. How are we going to change the reality around the dialogue that is needed around consent without including the one specific gender that has been extremely problematic with this? Exactly. The fact that he was willing to talk about that and his own experience with sexual assault, which is rare you hear a man speak about it with such insight, and just seeing the people responding to the content and the topics, it has been phenomenal. So thank you for taking the time to pay attention to that. Okay, so let's talk about sell by date because it's had many iterations. It's had a big long life already. It started out as a play and it's now a film. Can you give our listeners some history of how it originated and how it got to being a film? Yeah, thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk this out. It was a play. I wanted to talk about women, sex, power, power dynamics. And it doesn't get more kind of core than talking about the sex industry and something that we think touches none of our lives. Within the mainstream conversation, if you had a Barbie doll growing up, that's a doll that was inspired by the Lily doll, which was a doll based on a German prostitute. Nobody thinks about these things, but it's in the air. It's in the core fabric of our culture. Exactly. And for people to be either aghast, slut-shaming, stigmatizing women, and otherwise having a really punitive conversation about this topic more broadly, but also ourselves as women. We slut-shame ourselves. Anyway, I wanted to tackle this topic for so long. I started out doing characters. You know them, and some people may not, but here they are. So in my family, hi there, everybody. And Amanda, I just wanted to compete, but I can't with your glasses. <laughs> my name is Lorraine and Sarah Jones, the very nice young Black performer who you just met. She comes from one of these families where the Black, the White, they intermarried. And uh, it's a whole story. And there's Christians and Jews talk about interfaith guilt. <laughs> Anyway, so I had all these characters. I had performed on Broadway. I had done all of this stuff, but tackling a topic that is taboo. Again, we either sanitize it. It's always told from a man's perspective if there's a conversation about this. But when you say this, can you be clear about what this is? Yes. So this is the 
sex industry, but more broadly, women's sex and power dynamics in a society that pretends, right, that we have bodily autonomy, economic autonomy. But for the most part, the saying is that it's the oldest profession, right, the selling of sex. The truth is, it's just the oldest conversation nobody's really having in an honest way. And I thought, if there's a way to talk about this, I want to. And most of the feminists, you know, the work I had seen that wasn't just pretty woman. I love Julie Roberts. I wanted those thigh high boots like everybody else. I wanted Richard Gere to come and take me away because it's a completely, you know. I wanted Richard Gere to do more than take me away. (laughs) I just want to be honest about that. Yeah, let's just be while we're being judged. Yeah, yeah. We all wanted Richard Gere to take us away because of the myth, you know, the sex industry. I mean, OnlyFans, porn. this is way more mainstream than anyone wants to pretend it is. And it impacts girls and women in ways that either they're being sent to jail and vilified and criminalized while the men are not, or there's a kind of conversation around shutting down women's sexuality that I don't think is the answer either. It's just such a complex topic. And of course, I was like, I know, I'll make something very tricky for the mainstream to wrap its mind around. And yeah, see able to yeah. And, and why are you so passionate about this subject matter? I've been wrapping my mind around this for 15, 20 years, and it's so hard to say. There are draconian laws that criminalize girls and women while letting the men get off scot-free So we understand as a society that if you're a minor, if you're 14 years old, you can't consent to anything. And we all know that our brains aren't fully developed until we're at least in our early 20s, if then. 28. There you go. There you go. Like, when did I get married? Oh, that explains everything. Right. (laughs) The point being, the laws are different all over the world. What doesn't vary is the average age of a girl being introduced to this world an at-risk girl is 12 or 13 years old, right? That's the average age of a girl. A child. Well, a child. So here's the thing. For people who are confused, I am pro-women, period. I don't care if you're a self-described sex worker. I don't care if you call yourself a survivor. You've been in the industry. Your life has been impacted in some way. I support you no matter what. What I don't support is a larger system of laws made by men who often are buying sex themselves, right? They make the laws and that's why they get the equivalent of a traffic ticket when they are caught. So it's a very complex system of domination. It's an ecosystem that keeps the woman or girl in the inferior powerless position. Right. This wonderful activist, Mahin Kaleem, is someone who talks about this in a really brilliant way. This isn't about choices. Like, of course, I want women to have all the choices in the world. If you have every option at your disposal and what you want to do is be a dom or be in sex work, I can't wait for the world where those women keep the majority of their money. There isn't some pimp. There isn't a social platform where that's taking 80% of their money. My concern is that we're not having the larger conversation about how capitalism meets patriarchy and makes this whole world riddled with stigma and basically the shaming and limiting of women's lives around it, rather than talking about the truth, which is that lots of men have a vested interest in not shining a light on this conversation. This is a big conversation and I'd love to take it bigger. And I can only perform in front of 600 people a night so many times. This idea of putting it into a film that also is humorous You know, talk to women who've been in the life. 
Totally. And non-binary folks who usually don't get to control their own narratives. They don't get centered in the conversation. And so I just wanted to see if I could talk about it in a new way. And then I ended up like this confused kind of churning for me of my feminism, my wanting to claim my sexuality in a culture that either over-sexualizes Black girls or, you know, like I would get the thing of like, oh, you're mixed or that, whatever. I wanted to define Fetishized. Fetishized. We want to value human beings. We want to stop being violent toward each other along racial lines, along economic lines. And yet if you look at the sex trade, it's a perfect microcosm of everything we say we want to change, gender Mm. dynamics, you know, how women can be in control of their own, not only narratives, but I've talked to so many women who are like, yeah, girl, I have to give my money to OnlyFans or I have to give my money, you know, like my money doesn't stay with me in the ways it could even doing this work. So that's- So how would you like to see things change ultimately? Here's the tricky part. That's a big question, I know, but in in it, like- You've made this film for a reason. You're tackling these issues for a reason. Yeah. Two questions. The first one is, what do you hope people will take away from the film, number one? And second of all, what do you hope that would ultimately change? Yes. All right. So in the film, as you know, because you've seen it. Yes, I have. There are characters in there. And my goal was to bring the very different points of view. I can't believe you can put sex worker on, on your taxes now. In my day, he was a lady of the evening, and that was trying to be nice. So you have this historical, puritanical, and it's not only older people, right? It's as American as apple pie. And for me, the idea that we either hide it or can't talk about it, it represents where we are. The the suppression of the the reality. The repression, it comes out sideways, right? And so the truth is, we all have a relationship to this topic one way or another. Now, what would I like to see happen? Hi, my name's Bella. Hi, Amanda. Okay. Anyway, what I want to say is that Sarah Jones is like an older feminist. I mean, like, I don't mean to like, whatever, be ageist, but she is like a more like chronologically advanced person. But as someone who you all would say like Generation Z or whatever, I just feel that all of the stigma is like, that's just like people's, I think if all the stigma could go away, then everyone could just like be free to do like whatevs. And we wouldn't have to have all these labels like ENM or like whatever. Okay, so here's the point. No matter the generation or the background, I think there's a truth telling that needs to happen. Just like with race, along the lines of women and girls, especially black and brown women and girls, It's kind of the canary in the coal mine thing. If you want to see how we arrive at these moments of colossal disempowerment on a massive scale, start with the girls and women who are trafficked among the boroughs of New York from the time they're 12, 13 years old, treated like their bodies don't matter except for the pleasure of men, right? It's all the stuff we talk about. That's what needs to shift. So all I'm asking for is that we in re-examine capitalism and the fact that we live in a culture where you can't survive. If all you have is your body, <laughs> how do you even know whether you're making a choice? That, I mean, that's one of the questions. Yeah, I- you cannot know. It's just not possible to know. I have had a handful of friends, not a huge amount, but a handful of friends who either, you know, had periods of time where they were stripping and put themselves through college yeah, or totally. paid for their kid to go to school or something like that. And I've had friends who were sex workers 
there's a woman who I adore called Lana Rhodes. She quit porn at the height of her career mm -hmm. because of the impact and because of the trauma that she experienced. But she felt it was free choice until she got into it and then realized that she had been, you know, coerced and pushed into a type of porn called gonzo porn yeah. that was so damaging and detrimental to her that she had the courage to get out. Right. And so I've had many conversations with women about different aspects of what you're talking about. And I think the question is, how do you even know if it's free choice? Some people do, and some people just don't, yeah. right? Because of the circumstances and might not ever know until many years later where they can look back on it. But you're saying you want to raise these questions to remove the stigma of people who are doing this type of work or who are involved. And the idea that you don't know you're in it, you don't know what it is in that moment. I'm not going to tell anyone whether they are making a free choice. If they tell me they're making that free choice, then sure. I'm gonna listen to that woman, right? Sure, of course. Yes. We know with trans women and femmes who, you know, this is one of the only areas where you can work. If you are in particular black and brown and experiencing, for example, homelessness, and all I'm saying is I want us to reach a world where everybody actually has self-determination, housing, healthcare, schooling, you know, a social safety net. I interviewed women in Europe who had a very different relationship to being in the industry and being in the life because they were like, well, I, I'm not going to die. I mean, my children are going to starve. And in this country, it's a very different story for a lot of women, a lot of women. So I guess my thing is we don't legislate for the minority, right? We don't legislate for the tiny percentage of women who are able to make their living. I don't think they should be criminalized or persecuted or harmed in any way. We should support and lift up all women who are doing whatever it is that they have the self-determination to do. By the way, a lot of women who do work in this industry or end up in that industry do have experience of trauma. Certainly Lana did. And once I understood her history, I understood how she could be doing porn that required her to be so disassociated from herself right. in order to do those things. She had to already arrive at the job disassociated. And then so, that sort of was her superpower that helped her do it. I'm talking about hooters, you know, something that's considered very American mainstream. Like our society is so accustomed to the sexual- Commodifying women's bodies. 100%. Let me ask you a question about this. As a feminist and someone who frequents places that are, whether it's giving a TED talk or going to the White House or speaking on panels with respected colleagues, do you feel like you can also be perceived as a woman who has a sensuality? Because this is something that I've really been struggling with, where I felt for years that no one would take what I said seriously if the initial response was acknowledging that I was a sensual woman, that they were distracted by my beauty or my sensuality. And so for years, I kind of suppressed that in myself because I wanted people to hear what I said. And over the last kind of year or so, as I've been doing a lot more work to integrate all aspects of myself, I've gone, you know what? My intellect and what I have to say is just as valuable as my body and my sensuality and my beauty. And these are all my superpowers. And I need to integrate all of me and bring all of me to the forefront. And I have to say, it definitely gives me anxiety doing that yeah. because I'm sure 
that there are people who are going, oh, she's a feminist and you can see her in a top where her boobs are showing more or whatever the thing is. I have really thought long and hard about this. So I'm wondering if it's something that you have thought about. It is a constant. And then add the layer of the fetishization, right? Add the layer of the exotic black chick who is one of the only brown people at TED. Way at back the table, the totally, yeah. Right. And I remember the incredible complexity and shame that I would feel. I'm taking on myself like, oh, if they perceive me that way, I must have sort of that same thing that we hear all the time. She wore a short skirt she was asking for. Oh, it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? It's shame. It's shame. And again, shame and stigma, they're really connected. And in the film, one of my goals is to look at my own shame. And God bless my mother. I love her so much. First of all, you know, I came from a woman with white privilege. So that was also very layered. My mother's actually mixed race, but I didn't know what was going on there until I was like eight years old. So I just got the message, white women are wives. Black girls are side chicks. You know, like I really internalized all of these messages about worth and value and hierarchy. Mm. And I wanted to unpack all of that because the truth is it's right there in the industry. It's right there in how much you can be paid depending on whether you are considered more valuable than another woman. These are topics that are relevant to all of us. And I think like you're saying, I want us in a world where we can be as deliciously sexual as we want to be from a place of our own self-determination without feeling like, oh, if I'm on that panel, everyone will just remember me getting my tits out, as they say. Right. Is is that something that you have consciously made a choice about? Yes. I just want to say a big part of making this film was about sort of recovering, for me, recovering the part of myself that's willing to not be liked. Working in Hollywood, there's types. You can be the kind of, it's now we would say body positive, but it used to be, Sarah, if you would just put on a hundred pounds, you could be the funny, quote unquote, best friend. And I was like, what is that? What are you even saying? They categorize all of us in all these ways. And when I say they, the gatekeepers who are still the vast majority of who decides what images- Well, that's the patriarchy. And ultimately we need to be contextualized and put in a box so that there is an understanding and people know how to maintain control. And as you are a woman who is multi-talented, you write, you act, you produce, you're beautiful. I am sure- that people have continually wanted to put you into a box. It's one of the things that I admire about you, that you are unafraid to be all of those things. And I actually wondered, because I'm also many things, and I've had to be many things out of necessity. Yes, It was like, oh, I better learn how to produce and write and direct and do all these things because I've had such little support as a woman who's navigating an industry that people did not want to center women's stories at all. And so I've had to learn to do all those things to make my stuff. So let's talk about how difficult it was to get this film made, given the subject matter and that you are you. Everything you just said, I have chills because it's very both and, right? In a strange way, we're damned if we do damned. You're gorgeous. It's a liability sometimes. Yes, it is. People look at you and be distracted because they, in their whatever kind of toxic masculinity, can't hear your voice and see your humanity and have this much room for what a woman is on film, right? You're somebody's wife, you're somebody's girlfriend, you're somebody's love interest. or Appendage, you're, you're an accessory. You're an, you're an accessory. And you we, are not there for the opinion. 
for, for the story to be centered around you. And I'm grateful, right, that we're recording this in a time where there is such a thing as the woman king. God bless Viola Davis for, you know, like she's had to, with her brilliance, claw her way as a dark-skinned Black woman. She'll talk about it. She talked about it recently, where the fact that people say, you're the Black Meryl Streep. And she's like, well, I'm not getting the roles that Meryl Streep is getting, and I'm not getting paid what Meryl Streep is getting. I know Meryl Streep is the executive producer on your show, and she's, of course, the queen icon Meryl Streep, one of the most admirable, incredible, phenomenal female actors that there is. But still, in comparison to what I'm talking about with Viola Davis, Viola Davis has been marginalized and is very, her entire career and is very outspoken about it. The yeah. fact that she did make The Woman King, and that's the number one film in America, yeah. is phenomenal. It shows that there is a need for stories that center Black women, which, yeah. you know, we know. Right. But as she said, if this film wasn't a success, no one would put money behind centering Black women characters for another 20 years. It would just be, well, that didn't work. And here's the interesting thing. We tried it once. It didn't right. work. It didn't Let's work. put out another Dude Bro movie. Yes, that's right. Here's the hard part. I'm not here to bash anybody. You know, like I get a lot of like, oh, cis straight white men, are they not invited to the... And it's, hi, I'm here to remind you that it's not that suddenly you're in danger. You are not an endangered species. You're just fine. You are still running all the studios. There are a couple of figureheads, but guess what? The only black women, brown women, non-binary folks who get through still have to be vetted by the larger kind of white patriarchal establishment that is Hollywood. So I really like to debunk the myths of people who are like, you get all the jobs now. I'm like, I promise you, call my accountant. That is not true. So getting this film made was what I was trying to illustrate if we don't get honest about how much there is a core, what would I call it? There's just sort of a core, I'll say the United States, but I think it's Western culture and maybe global culture. Everything's fear-based. If this movie doesn't make money, we'll never do another one again. Like I want to make sure that everything is massively successful. So I can't take a chance on centering women. I can't take a chance on centering black people. And there's a core of, I believe, and you're doing this so brilliantly with the conversation about the men, Men are deeply insecure and wounded. I can say that for my father. I can say, I mean, God bless him. It's not a moral failing. It's called being human in a culture that sets you up from day one. Don't you dare cry. Don't you dare have a feeling. Get out on that football field and be a little man. If you start your life like that, and then you go into the roles that are prescribed for men in our society, you will become a fear-based, you know, dominating, you will become all of those energies. And in Hollywood, I think that looks like controlling narratives. But I'm saying, I think we all, as a society, deal with that, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, but then somehow go out in the world and navigate these fraught dynamics of sex, sexuality, power, using our looks. I've always been told, like, you should use your looks more. Ah, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Exactly. Like, but what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It, it's mean, like... Straighten my hair. Straight. I used to straighten my hair, for example. I was told. So, so you were more commercially acceptable and less yes. threatening as a brown woman. I just posted something about this on Instagram, like colorism. And we all have it in one way or another. My point with the film is open up the conversation. I promise you that if all we do is continue to pretend 
that sex and sexuality don't exist. The way we're doing capitalism right now is like wonderful for everybody. <laughs> if we keep pretending this way, this is unsustainable. So I think what you're doing and what I'm trying to do with the film is say, hey, this is here. Let's have a bigger conversation that ultimately is about self-love. Because guess what? If you get men who learn to love themselves, and then you'll stop spraying your toxic masculinity all over the place, sometimes literally in the form of gun violence, right? Like this stuff is all connected. And to me, it's really relevant to look at the power dynamics, the race, the economics that create the conditions where so many of us are traumatized. I didn't know I had suffered childhood trauma until when my therapist was like, hey, um, your personality is great, but it's also just a bunch of maladaptive triggers. Coping you know, skills. Like, your survival traits became your personality. And so what I'm saying with all of that is if people like you, Amanda, who you're brilliant, yes, and you have privilege, that's the reality. You have yes. a certain amount of privilege. Yes. I do too. I have a certain amount of privilege. If we're just waking up to our trauma, I'm not saying everybody you know, is traumatized on earth, but I'm saying we need to have a larger conversation about the sex industry that really pulls up to like a you know drone level view and says, wait a minute capitalism, racism, colonialism, all of this history, that's what explains why the disproportionate numbers of black and brown girls, native women, like when you look at, you know, the sex trade today, it's a direct link to our history of denying the ways we dehumanize people more broadly and especially women. If you love the conversation, then I wanted to tell you about another podcast I host called VS Voices. The VS Voices podcast provides a platform for women to speak their diverse truths, share personal stories, and advance discussions of issues that are important to them. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're hoping that this will wake people up to the reality and what? And make different choices? And like, what's your end goal and hope with this film? I would love for people to stop saying hooker, prostitute. And I would love a world in which the stigma around all of this is completely eradicated, but mainly because we start to have an honest conversation about the fact that women, girls, and non-binary folks who are in this work, there are many complex reasons that they might be doing it. Many complex reasons for people naming themselves, whether it's sex worker or survivor ask them, let's have the bigger conversation and let's get honest that it's not okay for a 14-year-old girl to sit in a jail cell while the 45-year-old, and I hate to say this, but in the film, we have a clip of what's called John School. It's basically- Yeah, John School, yeah. Yeah, it's basically like where the men go get a slap on the wrist for solicit, you know, they- I mean, there's literally the equivalent of a $50 parking ticket. Why are we sending the message Men, this is dirty behavior, but it's okay for you to go do. And then girls, you're dirty and we're going to lock you up and criminalize. The you. thing that really upsets me is when you have cases like, I don't know that I'm going to get her name exactly right. Centia Brown. Yeah. Centia Brown. Yes. Yeah. Who was jailed for a large portion of her young adult life for killing a man who was soliciting her, who was her pimp. That's right. That's right. And beat her, raped her, right. fed her drugs, kept her captive as a human sex slave. Right. And when she finally retaliated and killed him, she got put in jail. That enraged me so much. It broke my heart 
to, and there's so many girls like her. She's just one that we happen to hear about, but this is happening every single day. It is unjust that this is still happening. There's so many cases. There's a case I just saw again of like over and over again, men are violent. The women suffer and finally retaliate and then are jailed usually by a male judge, right? Or by a female judge who has internalized the misogyny. Misogyny. We know this. But my point is that if we can at least have this conversation, and Amanda, you could probably relate to this, but there are so many pieces of feminist art where when I get to the end, I'm like, oh my God, that was really informative, but I want to die and I need a new prescription and I can't recommend it to anyone. And so for me, the film, the goal is to take it to a personal place, Keep it in, not lightness, but remind us that we are multifaceted. We can laugh, we can get down to our humanity, and we can tell the truth, which is that ultimately, we all want love. Everybody wants love. We're creating the conditions in our society where it's harder and harder to get love because we're in a competitive, hierarchical nightmare. And I think that that is what drives the economic realities for a lot of girls and women and non-binary folks. And I'm not discounting that men have their own human experience of this. I'm saying, again, we want to look at the huge realities of sex tourism, Thailand. It's like its entire GDP is based on men from the West being able to go and buy women. And again, this is not about- Who look like children and who who often are. And how do we get down to the honest conversation about that? In a place like Seattle, where the population is like, I don't know, 8% Black or something, 40% of the girls and women in the sex trade are Black and brown. And the buyers are 80% white. That We have to talk about the legacy of slavery and the fact that Black women's bodies were commodities back then. And I think if we talk about it the right way, it won't make us all so miserable that we want to die at the end. We can talk about it more. I mean, the thing is, it's like, sex and money are the two things that people really do lie about. It is a tall order that you have taken on. Respect to you for taking this on. This is no small thing. And I really hope that people do watch this film and at least be open to asking themselves the questions that you're inviting them to ask. If you can even spark the idea in somebody that they can challenge their own preconceived concepts of the issues that you're bringing to the foreground, that is a success and it's going to take time. And it is just the beginning of planting seeds and hoping to expand a conversation that is much needed. Thank you, Amanda. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's, I didn't realize how puritanical I was myself. I'm evolving. And it really reminds me of the conversation around cancel culture. Can we, as everybody says, call people in instead of calling them out? So let's talk about your experience with cancel culture, because this was fascinating to me that you raise this and bring this up in the film, which is that you did have an experience with cancel culture. And for our listeners that haven't seen the film yet, maybe you can give a little overview about what happened to you. Yeah, I'll give a little overview without giving it away. Yes, don't give it away. Yeah. So basically, when this film was announced, there was... I think a very understandable, justifiable concern that if I'm not someone with lived experience in the sex industry myself, how dare I make a movie depicting these stories? And I think there was some concern that I might be anti-sex worker or that I might be on one side or another of a debate. And it turned into people trying to cancel me, the whole movie, 
that must have been terrifying for you knowing that that was not what your objective was, that you were trying to do the opposite than what people were trying to counsel you for. How did you navigate that? I had to remind myself, first of all, I'm not Woody Allen. I'm not, you know, Harvey Weinstein. I'm not right. someone who is like blatantly misogynist. My point was that I needed to acknowledge where people feel vulnerable, where they feel like their narratives are not being respected, where they feel like they're not being centered. And if they want to destroy me, they're going to destroy me. There's certain stuff I can't control. Was it educating people about what your objective was? Yes. I put out a statement that was as clear as I could be about everything I'm saying to you. I'm not anti-anyone. I interviewed sex workers across the spectrum. I interviewed people who don't believe sex work is a thing because they think it's purely violence. I interviewed everybody along the continuum. My thing, as we used to say and still need to say, believe women, listen to their experiences, let them give you their context, and that will help drive the conversation. But I knew that this was my film, that I needed to have my own experience of talking about my journey. No one else is an expert on my journey. And then the marketplace will do whatever it's going to do. Either people will watch it or they won't. But I knew that my job was to stay open, stay humble, stay teachable, and tell my truth. Do you feel like you did get canceled or it was like a near cancellation? It was a near cancellation, but it has a lot of fallout. And one of the things that makes me so sad is... I feel like we get distracted from the- Oh, yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, hang on a minute. I'm trying to progress the conversation and now I've got to spend my time doing all this other stuff that has actually taken me away from what my goal is here and my purpose is here. This is the thing that upsets me so much about the contemporary state of feminism, which is that there's so much fighting about who's an intersectional feminist and who isn't that meanwhile- the patriarchy is just looking at us going, these women just keep fighting amongst themselves about who's a feminist and who isn't. And we're just building power over here. Laughing all the way to the bank. Yes. And meanwhile, we could be spending that time growing our own strength, our own communities, trying to heal the wounds, trying to progress. It's really upsetting to me. It frustrates me a lot. But here's the thing. There's so many powerful, brilliant feminist voices Across genders, by the way. You know, yes, absolutely. Like, it's so helpful to have organizations like a call. Tony to- Porter. Thank I'm just Yeah, a, yeah, yeah a call to men, Tony Porter. Just love you, Tony. We love you, Tony. We love you, Ted. We're all in this together. Yes. We ain't gonna make it. If we keep acting like this is a binary conversation or a us versus them conversation, we are doomed. To me, this is about that little pithy phrase that I love. Hurt people hurt people. And once you understand that, you can reverse engineer healing. Like you just said, this is about a healing. I can't tell you how many cis white men, regular dudes say, you know, after we saw the play, my girlfriend told me she was stripping. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Or that she once did, or she worked as a cocktail waitress. Yeah. And guess what? Those stories may be those men's first experience of women making those choices, a woman who they love. And it's harder to create the other and stigmatize when you have an experience with someone who you love, who you're connected to, who has also made those choices. Well, I really respect and admire the work you do. And I am so excited for this film to come out in the world. And I just want to thank you for taking time today to share all your insight and your goals and your objectives and your hopes for this film with my listeners. Thank you for helping me do it with you. Love you. Thank you. Love you. Speak to you soon. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe 
And don't forget that if you love the conversation, then check out VS Voices, which highlights trailblazing women from around the world to celebrate the female experience. You can listen to Voices on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter and follow me on social media at Amanda Ducadene. 